he's reached and grabbed the door and I'm trying to process what's what's happening what's he doing is he drunk carjacking wasn't even in my mind he started to pull on the door all right gang check it out we have a special guest this week for a guest spot his name is Chris Greenfield he is the host I take it of a new podcast talk to us about it Chris what's going what do you got going on over there yeah, I'm, I'm me and the crew over at Big Tech's Ordinance launched a podcast back in September. You know, we'd, we'd always have people come by the, the store or come by the warehouse or buddies that we know from the training circuit come in and we'd sit there and talk to them for an hour or two hours. We, we, we stood around in the warehouse with Steve Fisher one day for an hour and a half and got done and we just looked at each other and we we're like, wow, I wish we could have recorded that mm-hmm. and put that on air to share with everybody. And so we, we moved some stuff around, we moved some offices around and we set up a really cool, we call it the pod lab. And now anytime somebody's in town, we have them come by, we sit down, we talk for an hour, we, we, we talk for two hours, we'll break that up into hour segments if we need to. Uh, we take our equipment on the road with us. We went to Shooter Symposium a couple of weeks ago and we did eight or nine interviews out there. We've already published a bunch of them, but I mean, we, we sat down and had a conversation with some of the leaders in the training industry like Steve Fisher, Chuck Pressburg, Jamie Caldwell, you know, some of uh, Jared Reston. I don't know if you've had, you had Reston on your show yet. I have not. No, we don't have a lot of instructors on, on this show. Maybe uh, he may have been on the extra channel at some point, but I'm not aware. Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. He's, he's one of those mindset dudes. You know, the guy got shot in the face like five times and finished the fight and mm-hmm. won it. And so like being able to sit down with those dudes, like we normally do and share those stories, those interactions, those laughs, uh, with our audience is, is pretty cool to be able to do it and, and share it with our audience. You know, we, we set down, we set out to not make it an hour commercial. Mm-hmm. We rarely talk about products. We rarely, and even if it is, it's a, it's a joke, you know, right, right. Like, Oh, you can get this. We just got that in. You can we grab have, it. At Big we have that, that's an aisle 73. It's right down the way there. Check it out. It's right there. It's right there. If you put it in your cart right now, you'll have it by two days from now. But we, we don't like to do that. We like to share our experiences because not everybody gets to sit down and talk to the dudes we get to sit down and talk to. Yeah, and I, I love the idea that it's kind of almost like a fly on the wall kind of thing. Like you were going to have this conversation anyway. You were yeah. going to shoot the bull, shoot the breeze, and, and, uh, and bust chops for an hour or so after a training session. So it makes perfect sense that uh, you know, you're going to – if you record this, people can listen to it um, you know, and, and kind of listen in on what you guys would talk about anyway. It's kind of cool. I like the idea. Yeah, it's, so, it's really neat. What's the name of the show and where can they find it? The Big Tech's Ordinance Podcast. We were very clever. Yeah, that is clever. I, you know, I, I was going to go with the Mike Williver show, but John insisted we call it the Active Self Protection Podcast, which is so literal. You know what I mean? It's so literal. It's kind of boring. It's so funny. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. The funny thing is, uh, so my I've got a seven year old and a five year old, and one day I told my seven year old that my middle name was Danger. For those who so don't know, she, that's that's my middle name on on social media, ladies right, and gentlemen. Right. So they, uh, so she introduces me to everybody as Chris Danger Greenfield. Well, yeah. And and in in fact, she actually leans over and whispers his name. <laughs> it's actually Danger, yeah. and it's so hilarious. I just thought I'd, I'd share that with you. No, but I love that's it. the 
that's the stuff. It's real interactions on the podcast. That's what we do. We, we, we joke. We have a good time. We share really good information on, on everything that we do, firearms-related, accessory-related, that type of thing. And you can find us on Apple, Spotify, like I think it's like 30 or 40 different podcast platforms that right. we are on currently. And we do a video version that's posted up on YouTube. Very cool. So, folks, go check it out. It's the Big Tech's Ordinance Podcast. Did I get that right? It's so hard to remember the name of it. It's so hard to remember. <laughs> and, you know, you can actually find links to it at bigtechsordinance.com as well. Yes. It, but, folks, here's the important thing Chris wants to make sure you understand, and, and this is important. It's not an hour-long commercial. It's not an ad to go to this or that training or to buy this or that product. It's just guys sitting around talking training, talking equipment and really, really important information, go give them a look. Please go check them out. And if there's a way to do it, make sure you gloat and tell them the Active Self-Protection Podcast sent you over there to their their budding enterprise. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate you. We'll see you again. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks. All righty, gang. Welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am still your host, Mike Williver, your favorite former Fed. With us today, a new friend of mine, his name is Mark. He he hails from, if I can get this right, Cole Saba. Australia. Uh, I'll have him him say that in good proper Australian (laughs) English to help clarify anything. So uh, yes, uh, he's in a relationship. He has one son and his work will remain a mystery. We're not talking about what he does for a living because, you know, he might have to kill you. We don't know. All right. Anyway, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Excellent, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's uh, definitely a privilege to be on. So I think, I want to say you're our first international guest. We had a guy, an American, who had an incident in Panama. So I'm not sure that counts. Uh, we do have someone coming up uh, from the UK. We have someone coming up from Germany. So it's the show is going international. It's very exciting. So uh, I'm so glad you reached out to tell us your story. So tell us, um, what sort of self-defense background do you have, if any? Have you done any sort of training, self-defense, jiu-jitsu, anything like that? Yeah, so I, I haven't actually trained for a long time. Um, years ago, I did um, a couple of different forms of more traditional martial arts, you know, karate, taekwondo. did a little bit of jiu-jitsu probably about uh, eight to ten years ago, um, but only a handful of classes. Um, I guess a lot of theory stuff. I do watch a lot of um, active self-protection videos, those kind of videos about, you know, situational awareness, uh, that kind of thing, um, but have not trained recently. I go to the gym once a week, um, so I'm, I'm reasonably fit. Very well. So, yeah, not not everyone who comes on the show has a, uh, prior to their incident, had a self-defense mindset or, or background. So uh, I'll be interested to see how that plays in, into your story. Talk to us really quick. We don't get a lot of Australian news in the States, and the States is like 97% of our listeners are in the United States, and then UK and Canada follow closely behind. Uh, give us a general idea of what what is crime like in Australia? Is it is it an epidemic? Is it a problem? Is it the same as it's always been? Could you kind of characterize that for us? Yeah, for sure. I think... Generally speaking, it's a relatively safe country or comparatively safe country. Um, I think as as with any country, the the major cities experience more crime, sure. the higher population densities experience more crime. Um, in in my area, uh, I think you know I think it's relatively safe. Um, as with all places, I think um, the methamphetamine problem is playing a, a role in 
crimes. And I think there's been probably an, an increase in, um, you know, petty crimes. But I think there's also an increase, um, anecdotally, an increase in, you know, home invasions, break and enters, that kind of thing. Um, and actually, I completely forgot to mention about four months ago, um, I was staying with uh, with my female friend and someone had tried to get in. Uh, we didn't know until the morning. They'd gone down to a- another unit in, in the apartment complex and um, someone had left their front door open. So they walked in, they helped themselves and they woke up the uh, the homeowner and uh, asked him where he kept his cash. They were, I think they were armed with a screwdriver. Um, so I think, um, you know, that sort of thing is increasing. Um, generally, I think generally I would say it's a safe country. Um, again, I've never lived in any of the major cities. Um, around here it seems to be there's not a lot of publicity for for the crimes that happen. So in my particular case, um, I'd made a comment to the police officer who would have thought you'd get carjacked in, in Coffs Harbour. Right. Um, and his his response was, it happens a lot more than you would think. Hmm. Um, and I'd never heard of it here. So, you know, I think generally it's a safe, friendly place. Um, but I think, you know, like a lot of places, it's the crime is increasing. Yeah, I, I, I would be surprised to hear that goes on a lot in a small town. I assume it's a relatively small town in, in Australia. So I wonder... You may not be able to answer this, but I wonder why uh, it's not getting the publicity that perhaps it should be getting, the awareness-raising publicity. You would hope that if it were going on with any regularity that the, the police would want the media to tell people you know, what's going on so they can defend themselves. Any thoughts on why that would be, why they wouldn't be covering it in the news? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've thought about that quite a bit, especially recently. Um, I know that in the, the local newspaper that doesn't exist in physical form anymore. There used to be a, a section on um, crime in the area. Um, and I, I do know that the, the local police website, they have, um, you know, sort of a brief on crimes that have been happening in the area, but it, it doesn't seem to get a lot of publicity. I think partly, you know, I can't say for certain. I think partly um, there's you know, perhaps the idea that we want to continue giving the perception that this is a safe, friendly place. It's a definitely a tourist-driven economy. Um, I think that plays a role. Um, I think, too, there's, there's a real... A lot of people I speak to, there's a real aversion to having to take responsibility for defending yourself. Mm. Um, so I, I live in a, in a country where... Um, you can't own pepper spray. You can't own a taser. You definitely can't carry a gun. You can own a gun uh, for target shooting and hunting, um, but you, you just can't carry anything. Um, the law, I think the law states that you can use reasonable and proportionate force to defend yourself, but how you actually go about that is is anyone's guess. I mean, if, if you happen to be, for example, um, a tradesman and you had a hammer in your vehicle and you use that to defend yourself, that's fine. But if you were to carry a hammer to premeditate self-defense, then it becomes, I think it becomes an offensive weapon. So here, here we go. This is the first time I've ever heard the term premeditated self-defense, but it does sound like something that would, that would be charged with in Australia or the UK. 
Um, so as you have to know, most of the audience here is, is American. We have people in, in tens and tens of countries around the world that listen. But for our American audience, it's such a foreign concept, the idea that you couldn't even have pepper spray or if you were to carry something other than a, a knife, pepper spray, or firearm for self-defense, that that could be somehow an issue or construed as, I don't know, looking for trouble, maybe. Uh, so this does lead me to my next question, which is um, prior to the sort of, as as Americans would view it, draconian sort of gun confiscations that went on in Australia, um, I don't know all the details. I just know that it's it's almost impossible to get any kind of a, a rifle unless it's specifically like a sporting rifle, like a bolt action. So like an AR-15 is strictly forbidden. You cannot possess one. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the case of um, any semi-automatic firearm, it's except with the exception of handguns, um, which is a little odd, um, any semi-automatic long arm, um, essentially it's very, very difficult to have a license issued for one of those. Um, so not, not to go into a whole nother subject, but when our gun laws came in, they, they created categories. So category A, B, C, D, and H. Essentially, um, the average person can get, um, long arms in lever action, bolt action, uh, pump action, but not pump action shotguns. <laughs> Um, it, yeah. it, it's very backwards and the average person who doesn't understand firearms, they think it's reasonable and, and whatnot, but, um, yeah, it's very restrictive and typically handguns are more restricted, but the odd thing is you can still have semi-automatic handguns hmm. uh, for target shooting. Um, so there's a lot of contradiction in the laws. Um, and I, I think it reflects to the laws were, were written by people who didn't really have a great understanding of firearms and and that sort of thing. And I think um, as far as firearms laws goes, the, the average Australian sort of sits on the fence. They don't really care either way. Um, you, you know, I think the, the whole, the, the concept of, a, of the Second Amendment is really foreign to people here. And Liter- as I said, literally and figuratively, yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something that it definitely appeals to me. Having a Second Amendment definitely appeals to me. Um, I think a lot of a lot of people uh, they just don't have the experience or the knowledge to to really make an assessment on what's safe and what's not, and what's reasonable and what's not. And I think the the only time the average person here does see firearms is is in the movies, mm-hmm. you know, where they're typically being abused and used for crimes and you know it's quite unbalanced um but yeah that's it's been like that for a long time you said something a moment ago that i think is so important you said these laws are being written by and crafted by people who don't know very much about firearms about their use about how they function about what the difference between a fully automatic semi-automatic and a bolt action they may have never seen one in real life like you said only maybe in the movies that's not unlike here when it comes to the people who are anti-gun in the united states you you can Google, go on YouTube and look up, uh, you know, goofy politician uh, giving a speech about guns. And they say the craziest things that aren't true. Most popularly or more, most um, famously, there was an assemblyman in California who held up a normal AR pattern rifle, I think it was. And he's like, this is a ghost gun capable. And then he lists these things that it's capable of that are preposterous, you know. And it has a, I can't remember what he said. It was something ridiculous. Like it has a... a 30,000 round 
ammo clip or something like that. It was crazy. And then, of course, our, our president, Joe Biden, who famously said years ago, all you need is a shotgun. And like I tell my wife, if you uh, ever hear a problem outside, just walk outside and fire a couple of rounds of buckshot into the air. It's fine, which is the worst advice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but these are, but these, unfortunately, these are the people that are crafting our laws, and they don't know what they don't know. And and I, man, I I feel a kinship to some other countries. Australia's one of them. Australia is one of them, I should say. And it breaks my heart that the condition of uh, of the public's ability to get to get stuff to protect themselves, their, their lifeline, firearm, you just pepper spray is restricted. It just breaks my heart. So with that said, I just want to be clear. If you, let's say, um, you know, we're going to talk about your incident here in a moment. Let's say this incident happened and the person who tried to steal your car threatened you and said, I'm going to come find you and kill you, Mark. Uh, so now you have this threat, you have this crime that's been documented. Could you then get some kind of a permit to carry a firearm with you, or is it still just not an option? Yeah, absolutely zero chance. I think a very long time ago, um, pre-1996, so 1996 is when all these gun laws came in, or most of these gun laws came in. Um, I have heard, I've not verified it, but I think pre-1996 there were some very limited cases where people who were deemed to be at risk could get a concealed carry permit. Um, but I think even even then they were issued very, very few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, in in this case, zero chance, zero chance. If um, if he if this individual had have said, as you just stated, I'm going to come find you, I'm going to get you. Uh, the advice would be to take out what we have, what we call an apprehended violence order, which is literally a piece of paper issued by the courts. Here we call it a restraining so, order. Yeah, same thing. Restraining. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, you know, is, is virtually useless. It's, it's useful after the fact to lay some extra charges on the individual. But yeah, there's, there's zero chance, zero chance of, of that happening. Now, Mark, I'm, I'm not sure. This could be the same in Australia as it is here in the States. It's as though criminals don't follow the law. And so um, restraining orders don't restrain them. And uh, laws don't prevent them from breaking laws. It's crazy uh, how much we're alike in that way. It's the whole thing is so silly. The idea that that a government can tell an individual who isn't otherwise a prohibited possessor of a firearm that you you're not allowed to carry the tools to protect yourself is, as you said, it's very foreign to me. I, I can't imagine uh, living in a place like that. I'm sure Australia is a wonderful place. I have friends there, but the idea that the government um, can at once not be obligated to protect you, by the way, because in the States, technically on paper, the police aren't obligated to protect you from crime, right? Um, and then say, well, and also you can't protect yourself. So good luck, you know, have a, have a good life. So all that leads into um, the reason why you reached out to us. Uh, you had an incident, um, I guess not that long ago. And why don't you just walk us through um, what you were doing and where you were and, and what, what happened in your own words? Yeah, great. So, I guess it's a little over three weeks ago, um, roughly. Um, so, yeah, it was just a regular regular Saturday night. Um, myself and my female friend um, had gone out for dinner um, in a very, very public, very busy area. Um, it, you know, self-defence was probably, it was the last thing um, on my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm always, always vigilant, but... It wasn't at the forefront of my mind simply because there were so many people around. 
Um, so we'd had dinner, paid for dinner. Um, it's still daylight. Um, so where we were situated, um, I won't name the exact place, but it's a, a strip of restaurants along a very busy road. Mm-hmm. Um, we parked over the road in a small car park and it's a small car park just off just off the main car park. And uh, my female friend was driving. As we were pulling into the car park, I almost said to her, look, we shouldn't park here. It's a bit dark. And I thought to myself, look, you know, just don't be paranoid, I guess, is, is what I thought. And, um, you know, it's kind of secluded, even though it's right next to the footpath and it's right next to this directly over the road from this public area. It's obscured by, I think there's some trees there, some bushes. It's it's obscured. Okay. So, you know, definitely it's somewhere where I wouldn't normally park. Uh, so we had dinner, went over, had dinner. Um, it was about 20 past seven when we finished and walked back over the road. And again, there are people coming and going over the road. There's a crossing, uh, crossing right there. People coming and going. Um, on the way back to the car, I was caught up in conversation and I, I didn't do what I normally do, is, which is just have a quick look around the car park before mm-hmm. I get back in the car as I'm walking up. Um, having said that, I don't recall seeing anyone uh, as we were walking back to the car. Um, so as we're walking back to the car, we we were just chatting as we do. And so it, the car belongs to my female friend. It's an almost brand new car. And um, initially she was going to drive. Um, and I should say for, for, for the American listeners, I'm sure you're aware, but we the driver's side is on, on the opposite side. It's on the wrong side. The yes, go on. Uh, yeah, on the wrong side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it was a very, very last minute decision for me to get in uh, and drive. Normally in my car, I'm familiar with everything I get in. And as soon as I get in, I lock the central locking. It's an older car, so you have to manually lock the central locking. And um, so we've got in the car, just chatting, and I got oriented. And uh, I don't recall whether I saw someone in the mirror, but as I've reversed the car out, so it has a, a reversing camera, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a brand new car. Um, my car doesn't have those sort of luxuries. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I did spot someone in the, in the rear view camera. And I'd said to my, my female friend, I'd said, what's this guy up to? And I don't know that she really paid much attention. And um, it, something was really off. He wasn't really, wasn't really doing anything. But then I'd noticed he, initially, I thought he was trying to get out of the way of me reversing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then I noticed he, he was looking directly at me. And so we've come to the full extent of the reverse. And I've turned to my female friend um, to say to her, how do you activate the central locking or is, are the doors locked? Because mm. I've only driven this car probably once or twice before. So and, at this um, moment, you sense something was going on with this guy, right? That's Your spidey senses started to tingle a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, normalcy bias... Um, made me think, oh, it's fine, you know, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's a thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think especially here in Australia, we're, 
we're constantly taught, you know, we don't need anything mm -hmm. for self-defense and we don't need to worry about that, but we do. Um, so we've, we've backed up. Um, I've said to my friend, are the doors locked or how do you lock these doors? Or I don't think I actually said it, but that's what I was going to say. And I've turned to my right uh, to my driver's side window and this individual had closed the distance in, in a very short space of time and he was at the window. So his face was right at the window. Mm -hmm. And so I reached reached over with my left hand uh, and grabbed the, uh, the inside door handle um, before anything had happened. But it's, it's sort of a shallow handle. I could only get, you know, First couple pads of your fingers on there. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so as this is happening, he's reached and grabbed the door and I'm pro trying to process what's what's happening, what's he doing, is he drunk, is he injured, you know, carjacking wasn't even in my mind. Right. Um, and then he started to pull on the door and initially he wasn't pulling very forcefully. And in hindsight, he only had a couple of fingers in the door, in the door handle. Um, but then, so we started wrestling for the door. He pulled the door open. And um, I won't use profanities. Um, I think I said, what the F are you doing? Sure. Reasonable. Yeah. And then, then I saw he'd produced a knife. So it was a folding knife. Um, I think it was about a seven centimeter blade maybe a little longer so it was a respectable size blade mm -hmm. um and his his words were get out of the effing car let me stop you right there and, i think and, this is an important lesson sure. because you know stephanie talks all the time on on the main channel and in her classes about uh, radically accepting reality and i added rapidly meaning um and i always use the example if you're a high school student especially in the united states and you hear loud bangs in the hallway and screaming no one is setting off fireworks. That's not what that noise is. It's almost certainly someone shooting up your school, and you need to realize that, accept it, and act accordingly as quickly as you possibly can and not waste a second or two because a second or two is an eternity in a defensive encounter, as you now know. So uh, I'm just wondering, was it until you saw the knife and heard him say that that you go, okay, this is this is what I was worried it is. It is actually carjacking. Were you still trying to rationalize that in your head? Like, okay, maybe – Maybe he thinks this is his car or whatever. Like, would, did it take until that moment for you to go, okay, this is happening? Yeah, I think it did. Once I saw the knife, I'd realized what was happening. Um, but as you say, there was, even even with myself being quite switched on, um, there was this inability to accept that it may have been something extremely sinister. Um, not inability, but... Just through cognitive, uh, so, sorry, normalcy bias. Refusal, um, I think, is the word you're looking for. Yeah. yeah just, I've been there. You know, this doesn't happen in my country, mm -hmm. you know, this kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, once I saw the knife, that, that changed very quickly. And um, so at this point, I'm, I'm in the car seat. I'm buckled in. Um, and he's standing very close. He's within the door. So there's zero chance of, of getting the door closed again. And I think one thing that I've looked back on, um, so I wasn't familiar, I'm not familiar with the car, so I don't have that muscle memory to quickly knock it into drive or right. reverse, or whatever. So that really, that was a det detriment, you know, in, in hindsight, there may have been the option to accelerate sharply or reverse sharply, 
Um, another thing too with with this particular car, um, I've noticed previously when you accelerate sharply. Um, uh, just tell me if I'm going too far off track. No, like, not at all. You're great. Go ahead. Okay, great. So I have noticed previously with this car, when you accelerate sharply, there's a real lag. Um, it doesn't. I think it's a traction control feature. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take off sharply. It's a it's a gradual, um, gradual acceleration. And um, I guess to my concern was um, this guy. He was really ag- he was agitated, but he was quiet. You know, as you would well know, criminals don't want to make noise. They don't want to attract attention to themselves. Right. Um, so I was concerned that you know, at this point, anything I did um, could really, really cause me a problem. Um, and I'm still trying to process and assess. You know, what do I do? what's reasonable. All right. So Mark, this, this guy's inside the door pocket of your car. So if you're at home wondering what that means, um, imagine you are sitting in your driver's seat and it's on the wrong side of the car and your, your driver's door is open and someone is standing between the door and the frame of your car. So you can't close your door. They're in the way. So I, I have to ask at this moment in, in my mind's eye, if I'm getting a mental rep in personally from your story, it's uh, where's my firearm and can I draw it effectively? Have I practiced drawing from a seated position, drawing from wearing a seatbelt, that sort of thing. Or if any other weapon you could have possibly had, obviously in Australia you can't have anything, literally anything. Um, but let's say you were able to carry a gun or a knife or pepper spray. Would you, in this moment, would you be thinking to yourself, okay, let me get to one of these, or would you have just proceeded the way that you did having been unarmed, if that makes any sense? Yeah, look, I think so. Um, I think, you know, because I've gone over this in my head, I think a primary thought would be if I use this, if I hurt this guy or if I use this, pull it out and use it, I'm going to be in so much trouble Wow! in terms of legal trouble, um, particularly if the individual was hurt. Um, you know, there seems to be um, – it's not uncommon, I guess. I mean, this is anecdotal, so I'm not – quoting from statistics or anything, but it seems to be not uncommon for uh, someone defending themselves to then have charges laid against them for excessive force or, you know, physical injury to the individual. So I think an an overriding thought would be, yeah, I'm going to, I could be in so much trouble. This could ruin my life. Okay. So let's take, let's play that out one more step. So let's say uh, the hypothetical situation, this is happening, but Mark, um, is carrying, uh, say a knife. So he's force on force. He's got another knife on him. So now once this guy reaches in the car and puts the knife into your stomach a couple of times, are you still going to be wondering if you're going to get in trouble? Are you going to do what you have to do to protect yourself? You know what I mean? That that's, that's, the larger point here being, I, I don't, I don't like that Mark can't defend himself, that he's not, he can't arm himself with anything. And that the government, oh, wait a minute, does this story end with two police officers materializing out of nowhere and grabbing this guy and taking him to jail? Did that happen? Unfortunately not. Oh. Unfortunately not. Who could have seen that coming? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this is not unlike uh, in, in a different way, but in a similar way, um, police officers in the United States after the last few years of defund the police, and I'm sure you've heard a little bit about that over, over there, uh, and the morale being down because – 
once you start telling people you can't defend yourself or you can't do your job effectively as an officer, they're going to hesitate. And we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of officers getting hurt um, and, and, and waiting and worrying about, you can see the gears turning in their head on these badge cams, worrying about if I do this, then what, um, if I, if I have to deploy my firearm, am I going to be raked over the coals? Am I going to be pilloried in the public square? And there's like a 50, 50 chance he will be. There's shootings that John and I have covered that are so justified. It's preposterous and there's still outcry in the community. Um, so I, I guess it's it's not that different from what the police are going through over here, and I'm sure there's people in the states who who um, you know carrying a gun or, or whatever would be hesitant as well. They'd be worried about what happened, but not like what you're talking about. You know what I mean? To where it's almost guaranteed it's going to become an issue that you defended yourself against a, a hardened criminal. So go back to where we were. You're, he's inside of your door pocket, as I call it. Um, what gear are you in, and what do you do next? Are you in reverse or drive? I guess is my question. So I think I think at the time I was still in reverse, and um, as I mentioned, not having not being thoroughly familiar with the car, um, not having all that muscle memory, I don't know for certain whether I'd knocked it into park, whether it was still in reverse. I have a feeling it was still in reverse. Um, so he's inside, as you said, the door pocket, um, and he started to become more aggressive with his words. So it's the same phrase get out of the effing car. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was more agitated. And I remember thinking at this point, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get out of the car because my female friends in the car and under, I, I felt that under all that stress, number one, um, I'm not confident that we can both get out at the same time and that she can be clear of the car when mm-hmm. he gets in. Um, Second to that, um, I felt that he was so agitated um, that I'm, it's quite possible me getting out would have got me stabbed anyway. Right. Um, I felt that at least being in the car seat, if, if he had have moved on me, I could have unbuckled my belt, put my legs up and kicked him you know, from the seated position. And I, I guess that's a really good point to make from from the seated position, I felt like there wasn't a lot I could do. Right. And uh, I get the impression this guy had done this before because he was very quick. He knew when to move in. Uh, he was, whilst he was aggressive, he was very quiet. Um, so I think at this point I'd started demanding him to, to back away from the car, um, being as loud as I could. And so at this point um, there was a standoff. So there was probably a, I don't know, maybe a 10 or 10 to 15 second period there where I thought, this is it. I, this guy is going to move in. I've, I've got to go hand to hand with this guy. I'm going to get stabbed. And so, you know, in a very short space of time, um, the thoughts that were going through my head were, um, am I, am I going to get slashed? Am I going to get stabbed? How bad is it going to bleed? Am I going home? That kind of thing, you know in a very, very short space of time. Um, and I think it, it probably was about 10 to 15 second, a, a 10 to 15 second period where there was this sort of standoff. I wasn't backing down. He was repeatedly demanding us to get out of the car. And it's probably worth noting too, he, he definitely wanted the car. Um, he was not interested in uh, cash, phones, wallets. He, he wanted the car. Um, 
so at this point my female friend did probably one of the the best moves of the night she's reached over and pressed on the car horn as i've started to yell at this guy and she sat on the car horn and blasted it over and over and i remember he got this look on his face so irritated and frustrated and um and i don't know whether again i yelled at him to get back so he's at this point with the blasting of the horn and me making all this noise i think it was taking too long for him and attracting too much attention he's turned and started to walk away um and you know i i made a lot of mistakes that night and i think one of them was what i've done next which is i got out of the car um, because i had this i just had this really overwhelming uh compulsion to see this guy arrested you know i didn't want him walking away and and getting away with this and doing it to someone else um right so i got out of the car his back was to me uh and i'd started yelling at the top of my voice to him uh drop the weapon put it on the ground um you know drop your knife put it on the ground over and over and over because um Number one, as I said, I just didn't want this guy walking off and, and doing it to someone else. But secondly, there were there were so many people around and I wrongly made the assumption that someone would come and help me arrest this guy. I really wanted to, mm. you know, my thoughts were, and it was probably a little irrational given that I wasn't armed, that um, we could arrest this guy or incapacitate this guy, hold him until the police got there. So he's walked away from the car. And uh, he's walked back down to the the public road, the footpath directly opposite um, this restaurant strip where everyone's eating outside. Um, so once we got down there, I switched over to yelling, he's got a knife, call the police, because I left my phone back in the car with my female friend. Um, and mm. again, I think that was a mistake to leave her uh, in the car. Sensibly, I should have just closed the door and locked uh, locked all the doors. <clears throat> and I think it comes back to something that I've heard um, yourself and John speak about, which is that emotional fitness. Um, I think my ego definitely played a role in in getting out of the car and challenging this guy. It was a, it was a really dumb thing to do, I think. But um, carrying on, he'd got down to the footpath, and this is a highly visible, highly public area. And I'm screaming like drill sergeant volume, you know, drop the knife, put it on the ground, switching over to he's he call the police, he's got a knife, call the police, he's got a knife, he's got a weapon, call the police. Um, probably one of the most upsetting things for me about the whole night was that no one wanted to get involved. So there were people mm. for me within arm's reach, I could have high fived them and they just ignored me. I even turned to one one gentleman and i said have you got a phone this guy's just tried to carjack me can you call the police and his only words were no sorry mate that was it wow um wow that's astounding absolutely you know in psychology we, we talk about the bystander effect and people can google that i'm sure you're familiar with it mike um mm -hmm. you know it was a classic example um of this and once I followed the guy probably for about 50 meters he was moving up into a dark area no one was helping me so I thought I'm gonna go back to the car and call the police uh, when I got back to the car thankfully uh, there was a young couple 
standing at the car with my female friend, they had heard me yelling and they were on the phone uh, to the police. They were midway through a phone call um, and as good a job as, as the police do and they were all fantastic and they were really great. They were great to me and my female friend, very um, helpful and understanding. As, as we all know, they, they're not there. They don't magically appear when you need them. They, they come 10 minutes after the incident's finished. Yeah, it's not unlike here. It really isn't unlike here. You know, having been a cop for a long time, I can tell you that most cops would love to be everywhere at once and be able to prevent the crime. But that's just not well. It's not their function, for starters. Um, proactive law enforcement here, I think, has dipped significantly in the last few years for the same reasons I mentioned earlier, because cops are demoralized. So, mm. so he ends up. I assume at the end of this, he ends up getting away at that night. Correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. So, and the, the police come. Walk us through that interaction. That you call the cops, they show up. How long after this guy beats feet? So I think it would have been eight, eight to ten minutes um, when they arrived. Um, and again, you know, everything I've said is no criticism of the officers. They were fantastic and uh, really motivated. Um, but as you say, it's just not their function. It's not physically possible for them to be everywhere. Um, you know unless you carry an officer around in your car with you. Um, <laughs> you know. so I, No one wants to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, the police, there were multiple cars on scene in, uh, you know, eight to ten minutes. Um, you know, uh, detectives were very quickly on scene. Um, and I should mention they apprehended the guy the next day, according to local media. Um, it, it was an online uh, newspaper article. The, um, I believe it was an off-duty officer who made the arrest um, probably about 20 minutes outside town, just in a smaller smaller town. Um, hmm. So, uh, you know, it was great. They caught him. Um, according to the newspaper, he was refused bail, which is also great. Um, and I think, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. There, yeah, there was a comment made that... Um, we shouldn't probably expect too much of the court system because it's a mess at the moment. Um, and I think you'd be hard, hard pressed to find a location in the world where that isn't the case to some extent. Um, yeah, it is here for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, uh, ultimately, but, um, you know, it was a real eye opener for me. Um, you know, I think, my reasons for coming and, and having a chat with you. Number one, it's something that's always interested me. I've, I've been a fan of the, of, uh, you know, yourself and John and the channel for, for some time. And it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting stuff, but uh, I think I'm hoping that something good can come out of it, you know, particularly for Australians. I think there's a real disconnect for Australians when we're, we're watching these American channels or European channels. And, you know, we, we do feel a bit insulated and it's not to make everyone, scared and paranoid it's just to i think make everyone realize that yes you do need to be responsible for your own safety um saying that we don't need self-defense because we have police to me is analogous to saying we don't need first aid kits because we have ambulances i mean it's absurd yeah there's there's a famous comparison um and it was i think it was uh lieutenant colonel grossman that said you know you're, you're more than happy to have uh fire extinguishers fire alarms, sprinklers, and fire drills in your kid's school, but you don't want someone there with a gun because that's just, you know, it's not going to happen here. 
there's a million ways in which the human brain minimizes these threats and, and tries to make us feel better. Um, so let me ask you this. I know this has only been less than a month since this happened, but have you, have you experienced any sort of, uh, nervousness, anxiety, PTS, anything like that as a result of this parking at night, stuff like that, anything? Yeah. Um, you know, it certainly has dampened a little bit from the first week, but, um, you know, definitely, you know, I, I, I'd probably refer to it as natural PTS. Um, you know, being in public is a little more uncomfortable than usual. Um, you know, there was a, a case probably three, three or four days after, after the incident where um, I was in a public place and someone was, um, they looked really agitated and, and they were walking really quickly. And that was mm. it. Uh, that made me very uncomfortable. They were coming towards me, um, you know. Definitely, you know, definitely, there's definitely some hypervigilance there, um, more nervousness than usual. Uh, I've noticed, um, you know, getting in and out of my car, whether it's daylight or not, um, I'm scanning more regularly. I'm scanning all the time, which I mean, it's something that I used to do anyway, and I think I'd let my guard down. But yeah, certainly, um, there is certainly a bit more vigilance and nervousness there. Um, I remember the I think it was one or two days after the incident. I was having uh, having dreams about fighting people, um, hmm. and it was it never happened before. Sorry, it, it never happened before. You never had those kinds of dreams. No, not that specific. You know, not that specific. I never dreamt about these. It was a very specific situation where it was really representative of what happened. So the dream was that. Uh, an individual had come up to me and was talking to me and was really agitated and started to, you know, become really aggressive. And, and I couldn't make that determination in the dream, couldn't make that determination of what was going on. And was this, was this a threat? Was it directed at me? And then, you know, um, I don't recall in the dream if the person had a knife, but, you know, we were sort of wrestling and, and I remember not really in the dream, not really being able to process it. It was that same feeling, mm. that same feeling that I had um, in the situation. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not speaking um, outside of, of of what I should, but my, I, I know my female friend is, you know, it's been quite hard on her. Um, you know, she lives by herself. Of course. Um, you know, um, yeah, it's certainly had an impact on both of us. And I think that's something that um, people should be aware of too. You know, when we, you know, when we, we're put in a position where we're not allowed to defend ourselves or we don't have the tools to defend ourselves, it's a really awful feeling. And that, for me, that feeling has persisted. Uh, um, you know, it's, it's lessening over time. Um, and, and not to jump around to different topics while I'm thinking of it, so it's a really interesting thing. Uh, talking about self-defense um, in in this country, um, a comment that someone made to me, I don't know, it was probably about six months ago or a year ago, and there must have been something in the media about pepper spray or self-defense, and I said to someone, so if you were able to carry pepper spray, would you carry pepper spray? 
And the response from this individual was, we shouldn't even have to have this discussion about should I have to carry pepper spray. So their logic was, I shouldn't have to do it, so I'm not going to do it. And I, I guess right. it's, it's like anything, we shouldn't have to talk about child molestation, but we do. You know, it's just one of those or, things. Or school shootings or any number of unpleasant things, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, But it has been interesting uh, after this, uh, speaking with a handful of people, maybe 10 people, I've asked them the question, if pepper spray was legal, would you carry it? And most of them have said yes. Uh, most of them have been hmm. younger. Uh, yeah, probably 50% younger females, a couple of males. Um, but um, I actually, so an- another good thing that's come out of this, I have uh, teed up a meeting with a local uh, local member of parliament and I do want to discuss with him, number one, why is pepper spray still prohibited? Um, you know, can we do something to to have it legalized for people. That's a worthy, uh, a worthy meeting. I hope that works out and do me a favor. Once you've had that meeting, shoot me an email and let me know, uh, what they told you. Cause I'll be curious to know. I'm going to update our listeners, um, as to how that conversation went, if that's something you'd want to do. So let's talk about lessons. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, don't live in a country where they, it's illegal to defend yourself. Okay. Well, you can't do anything about that. You live in Australia. So <laughs> save that. Uh, you, you mentioned a couple times about the car, and I think this is so interesting, and it's another one of those little layers of lessons that we don't we don't foresee uh, coming to light, but it did. You're in an unfamiliar car, and so, you know, maybe you don't know, is the, is the parking brake on the floor, or is it, you know, next, is it a handbrake, or where is the central locking button, or where are the window buttons, or, or God forbid, it starts raining, how do I turn the windshield wipers on? Just just a training point. So if you're in a new car, let's say you get a rental car or something, just take a minute and familiarize yourself. Now, with that said, I speak of experience. My wife and I both have kind of similar, smaller SUVs, right? Uh, one's a Toyota, one's a, a Mazda. And the Mazda is newer and it has this adaptive cruise control. I don't know if you've heard of this, but I'm sure they have it in Australia. To where you set the cruise control on the freeway. We're a bit backwards here. Yeah. We don't have this. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're upside down for starters. Well, I mean, let's not. just start there. And then uh, you set the cruise control, and it, it senses the car in front of you, and it, it slows you down and speeds you up according to the vehicle in front of you. It can sense the lanes to make sure you're not leaving your lane. And I'll, I'll drive that you know, from Arizona to California and back, and then I get back and I get in my older Toyota that doesn't have that, and I set the cruise control, and I almost rear-end somebody because the car's not slowing down by itself. So I think no matter how much you practice, uh, there's always a possibility you're going you're gonna to have a, a – a brain hiccup and forget exactly where it had a lot of doors or whatever, but familiarize yourself with that stuff to the extent that you can. Uh, another thing worth mentioning, I don't think I mentioned this before either. A lot of modern cars will have settings buried in the settings menu of the touchscreen or whatever that, that enable you to set when the uh, locks automatically lock and unlock. And it's something to think about because if you pull up to a situation and there's criminality afoot or something crazy is going on, and you throw it into park, you need to know, are all my doors going to unlock on their own or aren't they? That's something to think about. Same thing with lock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of cars will lock the doors when you put it into drive or reverse. Some, it's when you get to five miles an hour or 15 miles an hour. So just something to try to familiarize yourself with. Although I totally understand this is the one time you're driving this car. You know, you weren't thinking, oh, let me... You know, like I'm in a theater. Let me find the emergency exits and count the stairs. And, you know, let me find out where the locking button is. But this is something that our listeners are now getting a mental rep. They're hearing this, that somebody, this happened to them. So it's something they can now think about. Keep your phone with you if you can. 
we had another uh, guest on who had an intruder in her home and she left her phone on the bed and ran downstairs to see what was going on. And then all of a sudden wished she had it on her person. So you said you left your phone in the car and now you're relying on the kindness of others to help you out by calling the police and they couldn't even be bothered to do that. That's not an Australia thing. That's a, that's a human condition thing, unfortunately, uh, with the, the bystander syndrome. Uh, and then if you can go back and do this over again, how long would you say it was from when you got out of the car to when you stopped pursuing this guy or, you, or he got away from you? About how much of a distance? Just give me a wild estimate. Or how many minutes or how many seconds? Probably a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. So you followed him for quite a bit. So I, I think the question is, I think you did what you thought was the right thing to do in the moment. If I had to guess, you were thinking to yourself, okay, well, he's he's moving away. I'm yelling at him. Let me get him as far away from my lady friend as I possibly can. I'm sure that's what's going through your head in the moment. I'm sure most men would, would feel the same way. Call me a sexist. Um, but uh, consider how long you want to do that. If you're in this position, especially if the suspect is armed and you're not, how long do I want to continue to follow? If he's far enough away, can I make a break it back to my car or get back in my house or whatever the case uh, might be? So if you can go back and do anything differently, obviously, aside from memorize the controls of your girlfriend's new car, which is not going to happen. Is there anything else you might have done differently or changed or might you have illegally carried a weapon? I know people here that do it all the time just because they can't legally carry a firearm. So they, they break the law. Um, what, what would you do differently if you could do something differently now? Or is there anything? Maybe there's nothing. Yeah, look, I think <clears throat> you know, following my own rule of always locking the central locking as soon as I get in, you know, I think that was probably the one time in, in months that I hadn't done it. And having the central locking secured, having the car secured, um, it would have changed everything dramatically, you know. Don't think for one second, by the way, that your boy wasn't paying attention and listening for that locking sound. I guarantee you if he's that good at carjacking, he was because if he heard it lock, he'd have moved on to somebody else probably. probably. That's a really, really good point. That's a really good point. As you say, if, they're, if they know what they're doing, they're looking for these things. Um, yeah. Um, well, you know, I'd like to think that I – would probably keep my ego in check and not get out of the car. I would slam that door shut and lock it and then call the police. Um, you know, I think that, you know, practically and, and tactically, that's a much better thing to do. You know, lock the door, you're secure, you're safe. We're both safe. We have a car, you know, we're in a car, you know. Um, in hindsight, I guess I would try Try to. I mean, it's it's impossible to say whether it's whether I could do this, but I would try and process it a bit more quickly. Uh, except that sure. this is an armed robbery. This is a carjacking. Um, I need to do something. Um, something you know, something that I would change. I wouldn't wear. Uh, I think you guys call them flip flops, thongs. We we call yes. them thongs here. Yeah, I had thongs yeah. on, and I felt that that really impeded my ability. I couldn't really run. Um, and it probably impeded my ability to, I felt that it would be more awkward to throw kicks, you know, to, to, to move around sure. on. So it was an asphalt surface, um, you know, to move around freely and, and quickly and, and, you know, do things. I think wearing uh, joggers is, is a much better option practically. Um, going over it, yeah, locking the doors, staying in the car, um, not making the assumption that people would help me. You know, I've always been very practical and 
always said to people, look, if you want to take care of yourself, you've got to do it yourself. Um, right. And uh, I guess, you know, I did, I did rely on the goodwill of others and um, learned a, a pretty harsh lesson. Um, I don't think there's anything else that I would really do differently. It was such a, such a, such a high intensity compressed short space of time. I can't think of anything else that, I mean, you know, if it was legal to carry pepper spray, absolutely pepper spray, taser, um, extendable baton, um, certainly options that I would have liked to have had, especially if this guy had have started stabbing me. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess that's another thing to point out. If, if I had a being, um, being, excuse me, if I was being stabbed to death, I'm not confident that those different noises that I undoubtedly would have been making would have garnered any attention from people standing by. I don't think, I don't think they would have come help. They may have called the police. I just don't feel that someone would have come and helped me physically fight this guy. If they're not calling the police when you're screaming at the top of your lungs, uh, drop the knife. I'm going to go out on the limb, and if to hear your, your death rattle, your gurgling in the car, no, probably not. They probably would have just uh, you know, kept, kept going the other way. So, folks, I don't want to put you off the idea of vacationing in Cole Saba, Australia, because it seems like a lovely place, and Mark's a lovely guy. Uh, I do want you to stay tuned for Stephen Gutowski coming up after this. Uh, we'll have some interesting news to talk about. Folks, remember something. You live, if you're in the United States, um, you live in an amazing and very unique place that we cherish our freedoms and our rights. Um, but remember, those rights come with responsibilities. So if you are going to avail yourself, if you're right to carry a firearm, I highly encourage you to get training. I highly encourage you to um, to seek out knowledgeable instructors and make yourself familiar with that weapon uh, because you're hearing today a story of someone who has no possible availability to protect himself legally with any kind of weapon, never mind a firearm. So cherish that Second Amendment. Let's protect it. And uh, Mark, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Your insights were super valuable, and uh, and I will I will talk to you soon. Give us an update about what happens when you meet your uh, your member of parliament, please. Fantastic, thanks, Mike. And I do want to say just a very quick thank you. It's it's you know definitely been a great experience uh, and a privilege to come and have a chat with you. Absolutely. If I ever do make it to Australia, I'm going to look you up. Fantastic. That'd be great. All right. Take care, Mark. Alrighty, gang. Welcome back to The Gutowski Files, starring Stephen Gutowski, who is the founder of TheReload.com and the host of the weekly Reload podcast. It was a long episode. It's going to get longer because we're going to talk about the election results, or such as we know them at this point. We're recording this on Wednesday, November 9th. You're going to hear this as soon as it will be the following Friday. So some of these things may have been decided by then, not the least of which is uh, some races out west where apparently people in my home state of Arizona and some people in Oregon and Nevada are having some arithmetic issues, uh, issues counting, uh, and they're just not getting it done in a timely fashion. Other places have gotten this done. I don't know what the problem is, but there's so much to talk about. Stephen, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I think the problem is you West Coasters, just uh, very slow-paced people. We're laid back, man. We're laid back. Yeah. Siesta culture, baby. You know, it's, that's it's how like, we do oh, it. We, we could finish counting these votes. We could stay up and keep counting them until we're done, or we could take like 12 hours off and come back. You know, maybe tomorrow night. You want them fresh. Off. You know, you want them who, counting. Who needs to know? You don't want them counting all tired and sleepy and making mistakes, yeah. I guess. I don't I have no idea. I'm frustrated <laughs> no, as I you just, are about it. Their process just kind of sucks. I Indeed. Think, just, just 
reality. So, so first we're going to talk about some Senate races and in particular where the NRA spent some money and kind of what we know at this point uh, about that. So, uh, let's talk about Arizona. You told me before we started that apparently the NRA did help Blake Masters in his, um, primary campaign, but did not seem to continue supporting him, or at least not with as much money during the general election. So what was that about? No, no, that was Peter Thiel. Oh, a, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Republican yeah, right. billionaire. The, the NRA spent money on him in, in the general election. Okay. And uh, yeah, they spent money in six different accounts or six different, sorry, six, ah, six different races. I yes. uh, got tongue tied there, but uh, six different battleground races across the country in the Senate because they're they're clearly trying to capture the Senate. That was seems to be the NRA's big goal this this election cycle, and so they spent in Wisconsin, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. Mm-hmm. And now we know the outcome as of uh, Wednesday afternoon here on the East Coast uh, of three of those races, which is Wisconsin the the NRA-backed Republican held on, uh, Ron Johnson. Uh, Pennsylvania, the NRA-backed Republican lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Oz, he lost to Fetterman. And in North Carolina, the NRA-backed Republican um, won as well. That was Bud. And uh, so we've got three races. They're two for, you know, two out of three right now. But so we don't really know how well they did yet because we still have three other races. Right. Where we either don't have an answer or it's going to run off in Georgia. We we know what the, uh, the we what we know at least is that neither one of the candidates is going to get to fifty percent. It looks like Warnock, the incumbent Democrat there, uh, who supports you know Sulkin's ban and, and so forth, uh, is going to probably finish ahead of Walker, the challenger, uh, the Republican, the former football player, mm-hmm. uh, the one that probably everybody has heard news stories about and stuff throughout the race. But he, you know that. He's going to finish ahead, Warnock, but he's not going to be above 50%, which is what you need in Georgia to avoid a runoff. There's a libertarian candidate who got 2% of the vote. So just like 2020, if everybody remembers that, Georgia's going to have a runoff election that will probably decide control of the Senate, mm-hmm. most likely. Uh, but we don't we won't know exactly how that plays out for control of the Senate either until Arizona, where you are, and uh, Nevada finish their vote counts by friday i would you know when this goes up we probably will have an answer uh, but for right now it's still unclear exactly how well the nra has done um i would say the gun control groups you know largely spent in the same races as well they did expand a little bit more to some uh, house races to some secretary of state races in places like michigan and arizona um I believe the one in Michigan has been settled uh, in favor of the Democrat. Uh, but the they spent it, for instance, every town spent a lot of money in Colorado's state Senate race, mm-hmm. one of their key state Senate races, uh, which Republicans did not have a good night in Colorado. So they prevailed there. You had a couple of House races that um, – the gun control groups are trying to protect as well, like uh, Representative Lucy McBeth in um, Georgia, who won re-election. But not all these were very competitive races anyway, even when people thought there was going to be you know, a, a huge red wave. Uh, instead, we seem to be getting sort of a – Republicans are going to take control of the House and might still capture control of the Senate, but it's not going to be 
you know, 20 or 30 seat swing like, you know, people had expected. Yeah, it's more um, of a stream really than a wave. Gentle, yeah, it's, gentle stream. It's not as though Democrats are going to retain control of the House. They might retain control of the Senate. Um, but as far as midterms go, the way things look right now, and we still have a lot of these tight races that uh, we need to get final counts in, but it looks like Democrats did better than expected, which is a big deal in, in politics. Um, the expectations game is a big thing. Uh, so we'll, we'll, and that's a lot of the way you read how these races went too, sure. is based off the expectations of how things were going to go. That's why the Republicans might capture both the House and Senate and still be viewed as having a, a pretty bad night because it wasn't by the margins they expected to win by. Yeah, and right? to be, to and, be clear, I feel like the both the Democrats and Republicans were kind of expecting a red wave election that, that didn't materialize. I think the Democrats were expecting to get pummeled and yeah. were surprised to not get pummeled nearly as badly as they had anticipated. Right, and so expectations game is a really big deal when you're talking about uh, how, how political strategists view things, how – uh, you know, for instance, issues are going to be uh, handled in future elections will we'll come down a lot to how well they did versus expectations last time around. That's that's why, you know, we did a, an election preview over at the Reload, and, and I'm sure by the time this goes to air, I'll have a, uh, another one written up on how things actually turned out. Mm -hmm. But it was based a lot on expectations. You know, the, uh, another area we had um, some insight into how how did gun politics play in this because a lot of races didn't come down to guns they guns were not a big part of the campaign uh you know even in a lot of these races that the nra was spending money in uh, guns were not the you know even the, like a top three issue in the, a lot of those campaigns uh, and so you got to look elsewhere to try and glean something from what this election means for gun policy and one of the easy places is ballot initiatives now, uh, like those three Senate races, there we still don't have the full results in Oregon's uh, gun control ballot initiative, mm -hmm. which would uh, put a new requirement for a permit to purchase guns in place. Uh, it would also ban uh, even the possession of ammunition magazines that hold more than ten rounds, uh, and do a you know a number of other new restrictions on gun ownership in that state. Right now it's winning, but the AP has it at 50.7% uh, in support and 49.3% opposed. So it's obviously extremely close. There's only 67% reporting as we're, as we're recording this. So we'll probably have an answer on that by the time this goes live. But mm -hmm. uh, even if that does pass, what you have to look at is, you know, Oregon is a very deep blue state and, um, you you might expect a strict gun control ballot initiative to pass, and if it doesn't pass by a very convincing uh, margin, you you're probably going to see people be less enthusiastic about trying the same tactic in other states that aren't as deeply blue, That's right? Because they'll lose. Um, similarly, in Iowa, where we do have actual final results, there was a pro gun ballot initiative, uh, which added the the language of the second amendment to the state's constitution, the right like, to keep and bear arms. I like that. Yeah. Plus it added um, the, the clarification or like uh, explicit statement that it's an individual right and that courts should use strict scrutiny whenever uh, uh, scrutinizing 
um, gun state gun cases, laws. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's actually kind of a nerdy addition there, but, but it's a, it's a pro gun ballot initiative and it passed, uh, with 65% of the vote, which actually has it running ahead of the popular incumbent Senator there, Chuck Grassley, who won his reelection, but not with the same proportion of votes, which means that some of the people who voted for the Democrat running against Grassley also voted for this ballot initiative, which give you some uh, insight into, into the, how well the policy did. Now it's Iowa, so it's a red state, but, but uh, you know, that's something that can, that will, that people will look at and, and use to try and determine, you know, how gun politics is playing in, not just in Iowa, but perhaps regionally in the area or even nationally. Uh, same thing for some of these gubernatorial elections, right? There were three gubernatorial elections that had guns as perhaps not the top issue, but one of the top issues, mm-hmm. top three issue, right? And uh, those were Texas, Georgia, and New York. Now, in all three of those races, the incumbent ended up winning. But um, something can be gleaned from how much they won by versus what the expectation would be in that state, right? So look at Texas, right? You look at Texas and New York. Those are ones of red state and ones of blue state. So you'd expect the incumbent Republican to win in Texas, which he did. And you'd expect the incumbent Democrat to win in New York, which she did. However, the incumbent Republican in Texas won by 11 points over. That's, that's a creaming. That's a, that's a pummeling. Yeah, and and look, that's uh, that's over a high-profile candidate with a lot of backing. Beto O'Rourke was the candidate. He's famous for saying, "Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15s, your AK-47s." And he didn't. He, he while he was flip-flopping on that position occasionally during the campaign, he really did kind of embrace that idea and embrace gun control as a significant part of his campaign, a central theme. He's, he's also campaign. famous for losing political races in Texas, by the way. I hope he keeps running just into perpetuity in Texas. Please, Beto. Yeah, it's his third It's his third major race that he's lost. Uh, the, he, he lost against Ted Cruz by a smaller margin. Right. So that's another thing, too. Like He actually uh, performed worse against Greg Abbott, even at, in the aftermath of the Evalde shooting, even with Greg Abbott uh, signing you know, permitless gun carry and not instituting any new gun restrictions after Uvalde uh, and, and O'Rourke making that a major campaign issue, he did worse than he did against Ted Cruz. Um, and, you know, 11 points is, is pretty significant, even especially because there's long been a uh, argument that Texas is moving more blue mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, that's why people get excited about somebody like Beto O'Rourke because they think he's the guy who could push them over the, that tipping point to be a blue, you know, to have you know, more democratic statewide officials. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's failed at each time he's tried it. But, uh, but, you know, then you look at New York, right. And yes, Kathy, uh, Hochul won. Uh, she used, uh, the every town playbook towards the end of her campaign when things had tightened up, which was to connect, gun control with crime, you know, as it's sort of an anti-crime message, try to use gun control as an anti-crime message. And she pulled off the race. There were polls that showed a lot of tightening towards the end of that race that uh, there was even a poll from a major pollster that showed Zeldin ahead, her opponent. 
but she ended up winning. However, she only won by about five points, it looks like. And for a Democrat in New York, where they haven't elected a Republican governor since the 19th century, I believe. Yeah, that was uh, um, uh, Pataki, right? Was the last one? Uh, I can't recall. Yeah, I think it was Pataki. But it's, that was like early 2000s. The point is, so. it's been a very long time yes. since they... Uh, I perhaps I got the the date wrong. Either way, it's been a very long time since they um, yes. elected a Republican governor. Uh, there's been Republican mayors of New York City and stuff, uh, but but the governorship has been uh, Democratic for a very long time. Uh, and she only won by five points. Uh, you know that that gives you that's another indication that well she didn't perform that well. And there's it's not just gun policy, right? That was at play in that race uh it's not what zeldin was focused on but it was what uh hokel focused on and uh you know so y- you look at that and you think well she underperformed and so maybe what her strategy was didn't work very well you know, that's these are the kind of things that people uh that that political operatives take from these races like other campaigns when they look at how these races went this these are the sort of conclusions these are the these are the signs they're going to look at for what conclusions to draw. And then you have Georgia, right? Where, um, where the incumbent Republican governor won and Georgia's a much more divided state. It's a much more purple state. And, you know, to, to have the, the governor pull off what looks to be uh, about a uh, eight point, I think it's a nine point win. That's pretty impressive, uh, and he's running against again another very well-known, well-funded opponent mm-hmm. in Stacey Abrams. You know, uh, Brian Kemp held off Stacey Abrams again as their rematch race, and that race was focused on on guns, at least as a top three issue. Again, it's not necessarily the top issue, but but it was something where Abrams used Kemp's signing of permitless gun carry as as a significant issue in the race uh there was a, a festival that got canceled in atlanta because of uh people would be would have been allowed to carry firearms legally and you know that became a campaign issue as well abrams you know brought this up a lot and kemp didn't shy away from from the issue so uh you know him winning and wildly outperforming um the the republican senate candidate there uh you know that that tells people stuff as well uh, i think and and again you know this stuff's not always crystal clear the ballot initiatives it's a little easier to just read them because it's like people are just directly voting mm-hmm. on the question sure. of a certain gun policy uh, so it's pretty easy to interpret the rest of this stuff obviously you got to take into account i mean think about the kemp race right that's that's a race where you've got a very conservative republican governor who is uh hated by the former Republican president and uh, has been dealing with, uh, you know, the, the, the fallout from that for years, but also has governed the state in a really co- you know conservative manner, passing, you know, a bunch of um, uh, policies that Republicans like. Uh, he's, he, you know, opened up the state earlier than even uh, former president Trump had wanted uh, back in 2020 and you know there's all this other stuff that's going on Stacey Abrams refused to uh, acknowledge that she lost the previous election uh, you have obviously the issue of abortion was big and in, in that race as well and 
uh, you know, there's there's a lot going on in each of these races, uh, but that's where you know things get a little more complicated to look at. Uh, like, how does this affect the politics of guns? Well, it's it's easy to say, well, all right, the Iowa ballot initiative passed, so in Iowa, they're you know that's pretty pretty simple calculation to make. Mm-hmm. Or Oregon, maybe this bill, maybe this uh, ballot, the gun control ballot initiative passes there, and you can say, well. Uh, okay, in Oregon, they they want this sort of policy. Uh, now, obviously, there's complications that come after that with the legal case against uh, you know something like the ballot initiative in in Oregon. But the political side of things, it's a little more straightforward. When you get out into, oh, the NRA spent a lot of money in the Wisconsin Senate race, or or for instance, the NRA spent a lot of money in the the Pennsylvania Senate race, but didn't. Uh, a lot of their ads didn't even talk about guns. Hmm. So how much influence did the the gun politics have on that race? Uh, you know, it's a, you, you got to make a little more uh, of a reasoned inference at that point. And uh, so people can disagree, but the, but these are the ways that, that your political operatives are, are looking at these races and what they're taking away from them in a lot of cases. And, uh, you know, overall, so far is a fairly good night for gun policy, but you know, for an issue that is has been a sort of back burner issue in the election generally, uh, right now what you, I think you're seeing is a, a pretty good performance in the key races where it was a significant issue. Uh, you know, you have Hochul um, uh, in New York, but again, she really underperformed yeah. for a Democratic incumbent. Well, I mean, she was this is their first time being elected in an actual election because the the whole Cuomo scandal is the way she got into office in the first place. But, but uh, regardless, like, you know, that's, she didn't do great, even though she did win. Um, you know, it's, and there'll be other races. I think the Lauren Boebert race in Colorado will be an interesting one. She's trailing right now. Uh, there hasn't been a final call on that one yet. She's obviously uh, a very prominent, uh, figure in Republican gun circles mm-hmm. is certainly one of the things that she has made a, uh, a sort of her, whatever main calling cards in her time in Congress. And she's obviously gotten a lot of media attention um, for her role as sort of the um, one of the top MAGA Republicans in, in the house. So if she loses, you know, how much that says about gun policy is, is, would be up and for debate It'd be another thing you look at and say, well, she, yeah, she's got the, she made gun policy a big part of her brand, but also she was, you know, extremely uh, in your face, sort of mega personality. Maybe that didn't fit her district as well as people thought. Yeah. <laughs> I just, just to underline, it's not all that simple. Well, there's a lot of moving, time. a lot of moving parts. I'm curious. You, you might know this, Stephen. Can we anticipate seeing some exit polling or some polling uh, after the election to ask people, hey, you voted for this person or that person in New York. What were your top three or five um, major issues to see if maybe the gun to kind of gauge where people's heads are on guns and how important that issue is to them one way or the other? Yeah. The exit polling will usually ask about issues just just like your opinion polling does. And so exit polling is really only useful after it's been uh, um, 
you know, matched up to the actual results of the election, right? Because, right? because uh, you know, it, you can do exit polling, but it's it's not as a re- it's not as reliable of a form of polling as like your randomized um, blind, uh, you know, uh, opinion polling. That and even those are obviously not perfectly reliable either, right? Uh, because exit polling relies on people being willing to talk to you as you leave a as they leave the, yeah, the polling place, yeah, for sure. Right. And so it's a little more self-selective than, um, than your traditional randomized polling has been. And so that what they usually do is they'll wait until, I mean, obviously they'll talk about election. Everybody who's watched any election coverage has seen them talk about ele- uh, exit polling, but, but the most reliable way to look at it is after it's been normalized to what the actual results of the election were. So you can, because you can look at, all right, well, the people we talked to 40% said they were for, Fetterman and 60% said Oz. Obviously, that's not how the election came out. So we have to match, we have to, um, re, you know, match these numbers up to what the actual results were. Right. And that way we'll get a better understanding of, of what people were really thinking as, uh, in, in the overall electorate. So yeah, you'll get some more insight from that kind of stuff once, once, uh, the, all the results are in and you can, uh, the pollsters can do those sorts of uh, um, do that work. All right, folks, it's been a long episode. If you hung in this far, do me a favor. Uh, if you're on Spotify, go leave us a five star rating. If you're on uh, Apple Podcasts, go leave us a five star rating and a review. And if you've made it this far, please use the word Gutowski. It's G U T O W S K I. Uh, he is the uh, founder of the reload.com and a host of the weekly reload podcast. Go give them a look. Steven counts on your membership dollars to fund his important work. So, um, Stephen, I appreciate you coming on. We'll probably know a little bit more next week. We might touch on this again when I see you next uh, next week. Yeah, absolutely.